Welcome, everybody. I hope you had a fantastic Labor Day weekend. If you had the day off, President Joe Biden gave a speech in Philadelphia. He talked about jobs. He talked about labor. And, you know, one of the interesting things that I am going to be getting into is that many of us had sort of mediocre expectations about Joe Biden as president when it came to a few particular areas. Labor would certainly be one of those areas. Cannabis, I would say, is another. Student loan debt forgiveness is another. And in these three areas, I actually believe that President Joe Biden has overperformed expectations for those who have been paying attention. On labor, does this mean Joe Biden is God's gift to the labor movement? Excuse a religious term. If it doesn't apply, it doesn't really apply to me. But uh, the, the proverbial God's gift to the labor movement? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that compared to much of what was expected, we actually have gotten some important things from the Biden administration on labor. I'll do a segment on that coming up. But the point here is that in yesterday's speech in Philadelphia, Joe Biden genuinely hammering Trump on the jobs record. Many of you wrote to me and said, David, is this true or are the statements that Biden makes about jobs accurate? Let's listen to them, and then I want to discuss this with you. I'm going to make that a reality for every family in this country. And we are making it a reality. Nearly 13,500,000 jobs just since you got me sworn in in, in January of 2020. 800,000 new manufacturing jobs. But you wouldn't know from all the negative news you hear. But we're getting through this one of the greatest job creation periods in American history. For real, that's a fact. And you know, it wasn't that long ago we were losing jobs in this country. In fact, the guy who held this job before me was just one of two presidents in history. He was one of, no, but here's an important point, one of two presidents in history that left office with fewer jobs in America than when he got elected office. By the way, you know who the other one was? Herbert Hoover. Isn't that kind of coincidental? Look, but we're turning things around because of you. When the last guy was here, you were shipping jobs to China. Now we're bringing jobs home from China. When the last guy was here, when the last guy was here, your pensions were at risk. We helped save millions of pensions with your help. When the last guy was here, he looked at the world from Park Avenue. I look at it from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I look at it from Claymont, Delaware. Okay. So, uh, by the way, why does Biden call it a coincidence that the a pre the only other president to lose jobs was Herbert Hoover. It's because Herbert Hoover is sort of the other businessman president. You might have remembered that when Mitt Romney was running for president. He and the people who supported Romney said, we need a businessman to run this country like a business. And many of us said, what evidence do we have that businessmen or business people make good presidents. The only other example is Herbert Hoover, and he was a disastrous president. He worked in mining, consulted and managed, etc. Okay, so now we have two presidents, former business people, Donald Trump and Herbert Hoover. What about that record? Is it true that there were more people working and lower unemployment uh, at the start of Trump's presidency rather than at the end? The answer is yes, but you know that I don't play these political games with these economic indicators, so I'm going to give you the full story, but let's start with the data. When Donald Trump took office, there were 152 million people working. This is the so-called labor force participation. Republicans love citing it when it's convenient, when it's convenient. 152 million people working when Trump came into office only 149.8 million working when Trump left office. So it is absolutely the case that there were fewer people working when Trump left compared to when Trump came in. But in the interests of playing it down the middle and not politicizing these indicators, remember that there are reasons that the labor participation rate can go down that are indicative of a good economy. I'll give you an example. If you have saved enough money to retire 
because the economy has been good and you retire, you leave the labor force. Labor force participation goes down, but it's because the economy has been good to you that you can afford to retire. Another very similar example is you go back to school. Uh, imagine a 40-year-old parent who goes back to school leaving the labor force. You have lowered the labor participation rate, but the reason you're able to do it is because the economy is good enough that maybe on one person's salary rather than two, you can afford to raise your family. So in this particular case with Trump, it had much to do with COVID, but let's remember the truth about the labor force participation rate. Okay, well, but let's go further. What about the unemployment rate? Because the unemployment rate is reflective of people looking for jobs. If you retire, you leave the labor force, but you're not looking for a job. What about people looking for jobs? And indeed, when Donald Trump took office, the unemployment rate was 4.7. And when Donald Trump left office, the unemployment rate was 6.3. So yes, looking at two important economic indicators, there were more people working when Trump took office. He left office with fewer people working. There was a higher unemployment rate when Trump left office. All of that indicating a worse economy. Now let's continue to be honest and upfront. You can't ignore the unique and unprecedented insanity that COVID threw into the economy. Whatever your opinion is of the so-called lockdowns that Trump put in uh, through state governors or whatever it is that you believe, we have to acknowledge that much of the economic circumstances in that last year of Trump's presidency related to COVID. Big picture, Democrats bad for the economy, Republicans good, very much not true. And we've talked about that many times. Good for Joe Biden for pointing out what are undeniable, accurate, true economic numbers. We've been talking more and more about whether aside from criminal charges, aside from criminal convictions, is Donald Trump disqualified constitutionally from holding elected office because he violated the 14th Amendment to the Constitution by virtue of inciting an insurrection. This is something that we have talked about for a long time now. There is a lawsuit out of South Florida saying that's what happened. There is the consideration of New Hampshire moving to preclude Trump from even being on the ballot because he violated the Constitution. So this has now gotten to Donald Trump. Trump himself is now terrified that they actually might not let him be president again, even if he were to win. Trump posting to his soon to fail social media platform, Truth Social, quote, almost all legal scholars. What is that like, Jonathan Turley? Almost all legal scholars have voiced opinions that the 14th Amendment has no legal basis or standing relative to the upcoming 2024 presidential election. Like election interference, Trump says, it is just another trick being used by the radical left communists, Marxists, and fascists to again steal an election that their candidate, the worst, most incompetent, and most corrupt president in U.S. history, is incapable of winning in a free and fair election. Make America great again. So Trump's terrified. Trump realizes when Trump posts about something and says there's no merit to this thing that I'm posting about, it's because he realizes there very well may be merit to it. Donald Trump may be disqualified from holding office because of his role in citing an insurrection in the days leading up to and on January 6, 2021. Now let's discuss two parts the first one is shorter. There's this question of should this be done? Should states prevent Trump from running or whatever the case may be? It is true that it's up to, uh, up to state attorneys general to decide, are we even allowing the guy on the ballot? But I received a number of emails last time we talked about New Hampshire looking into this from folks like you in the audience saying, David, there's really nothing to decide. If you incite an insurrection, you are disqualified from holding office. It's not like should we, shouldn't we? 
you are disqualified. Of course, his removal from the ballot is an important technicality. That's the consequences. Uh, that's the consequence. But if you've incited an insurrection, you're disqualified. Here is Adam Schiff talking about this on MSNBC a couple of days ago. Thought on whether that's a valid argument. I think it is a valid argument. Uh, you know, the 14th Amendment, uh, Section 3, is pretty clear. If you engage in acts of insurrection or rebellion against the government, or you give aid and comfort to those who do, you are disqualified from running. It doesn't require that you be convicted of insurrection. Uh, it just requires that uh, you have engaged in these acts. It's a disqualification from holding office again. Uh, and it fits Donald Trump to a T. I think this will be tested when a secretary of state either refuses to put him on the ballot or puts him on the ballot and is challenged by a litigant. Um, I would imagine it will go up to the Supreme Court. And that's the big question mark through all of this, which is, what will the Supreme Court do? There are prominent constitutional scholars as well as prominent uh, progressive scholars uh, who believe that he should be disqualified. But uh, will the court take that step? Ultimately, uh, only time will tell. But I do think... Uh, it is a very legitimate issue by the clear terms of the 14th Amendment. He should be disqualified from holding office. OK, so that's the first part, sort of like do Trump's actions qualify for disqualification? It seems the, the, the answer appears to be yes. So now we go into where does this come from? Section three of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution is where these provisions are contained. So here is the relevant section, uh, the relevant text of Section 3. Quote, no person shall be a senator or representative of Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States, or as a member of any state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each House, remove such a disability. So let me uh, sort of dramatically simplify this. What this provision in the 14th Amendment to the Constitution says is that if you have elected office and you then go and you engage in insurrection or rebellion or give aid and comfort to those who engage in insurrection or rebellion, then you're not allowed to hold office again, except if there's a two thirds vote of the House and Senate that says we're going to let you do it anyway. There is an obvious case that Donald Trump both engaged in insurrection and also provided aid and comfort to those engaging in insurrection. We love you. You're political prisoners. They're being treated so unfairly about the actual insurrectionists. That is giving aid and comfort to them. Talking about potentially pardoning them. That's all aid and comfort, 100%. And then it goes to, OK, did Donald Trump, as defined, engage in insurrection or rebellion himself? Colloquially, you and I speaking like normal people who just observed what happened. The answer is, of course, he did. Whether it's something that would be proven or provable based on the definition under the strict guidelines of evidence in a court of law, I don't know. But that doesn't matter because this does not need to be criminally proven or anything like that. This is for uh, states to decide. This is for Congress to decide. And as we look at it, it is difficult to argue that Trump can run again or be president again. Will this be what stops him rather than the criminal charges or convictions? I don't know. Let me know what you think. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. Make sure you're following us on TikTok. We'll be right back. I run a business and I know how important it is to keep passwords safe. Our website has been hacked in the past. I've talked about it. There's videos on YouTube about it. Your business may have dozens or hundreds of passwords, multiple team members who have to use them. 
Some companies will use a spreadsheet or post it notes to keep track of it. It could be copied, photographed. It's not secure. There's no audit trail. It can really be a mess if it's not properly managed and it can quickly become a major liability. The solution is Sono, the password manager for businesses. Sono generates unique, secure passwords for each account. They are encrypted before they leave the computer. Only someone who knows the master password can access the vault. You can share passwords and folders with other users who are also cryptographically protected. Total privacy. No data is shared with others. Data provided is used only to fulfill the service. Sono is free for individuals, affordable paid plans for businesses. It lets you host it on your own server behind a firewall. It is open source. Anyone can audit the source code. No hard coded passwords. To get started, go to Sono.com. That's P S O N O.com. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti nausea wristband, clinically proven to effectively prevent nausea and vomiting. Relief Band is a type of therapy called transdermal neuromodulation acustimulation. And in really simple terms, it's just a band you wear on your wrist that sends a gentle pulse to the part of your nervous system that regulates nausea. And there's been growing research showing that relief band can help with nausea from motion sickness, from pregnancy and from all sorts of other situations. And a number of studies suggest relief band can help with nausea after surgery in conjunction with medication. Many people use relief band for nausea from anxiety or migraines. When you feel sick on a car or plane or a boat, it's simple, it's safe, it's drug free and there are no side effects. Relief band has an A plus rating from the Better Business Bureau with over 100,000 satisfied customers online. It's just a brand you can trust. You can go and read the reviews. Let relief band help you make nausea a thing of the past. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping when you go to reliefband.com and use the code Pacman at checkout. That's reliefband.com. Then use code Pacman to get 20% off and free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. The Ron DeSantis presidential campaign to call it crumbling may be an overstatement in the sense that it suggests there was really something there at any point. But the latest news is that a Ron DeSantis super PAC has ended door knocking in some crucial states, suggesting that even his own supporters no longer have any confidence in him. The super PAC is called Never Back Down. They've been door knocking in Nevada. They've been door knocking in Super Tuesday states. Super Tuesday, of course, is that day uh, in March when there's a whole bunch of primaries in one day and a ton of delegates up for grabs. And if at this point in time they are already backing off of door knocking in those states, it is a very, very bad sign. Now, of course, anytime you inquire about this specifically, you're given the typical runaround. This is a strategic realignment. We're redeploying resources, just like when the campaign fired like two dozen people. Uh, and then said, we're just realigning and redeploying, but they didn't hire anybody new. So it's just a downsizing. It's because you're not raising enough money. It's because the campaign isn't going well. If we look at the polling, there is not a particularly remarkable story to tell, at least not compared with where we were a week ago or where we were at the time of the first Republican debate uh, on August 23rd. You still have Donald Trump in a commanding lead with somewhere in the mid 50s percent of the Republican support. The rest of all the Republican candidates are divvying up 45 percent. DeSantis is at 14. He has seen the tiniest of tiny bumps from like 13.8 to 14.3. The Vivek Ramaswamy surge seems to have ended. He topped out at about seven and a half and is now down to seven. The one maybe more remarkable polling indicator is that Nikki Haley is up to six. This is by far as high as Nikki Haley has ever been. She's being talked about as, hey, maybe she could actually do something in New Hampshire and gain some momentum. Who knows? But let's talk about what happens now and see if we can take a historical approach to understanding 
is it over for DeSantis or not? Now, let's leave all of the caveats about the unprecedented nature of running against a former president in a primary, Trump's criminal indictments. Let's just put that all aside for a second and talk about the history. Can DeSantis win historically? And what I mean by that is, how often has it happened that the person in second place or worse in a Republican or a Democratic primary at this point, we're in September of the year before the election. Has it happened before that someone in second or worse place in September of the year before the election actually ended up being the nominee? And the answer is yes. There's a number of different examples. Jimmy Carter in 1976, before the Iowa caucuses in early 76, so late 75, Jimmy Carter was not a front runner. He was not the de facto leader. He was not any of those things. He eventually emerged and he won the nomination and won the presidency. So that's one example. Bill Clinton in 1992, um, at the beginning of the Democratic primary, Clinton was not the clear front runner. There were a bunch of different challenges he was facing. The personal issues which plagued him for his entire career were a factor. Then the whole comeback kid thing happened, the New Hampshire primary. And as we all know, Bill Clinton ultimately won the nomination and ultimately uh, became president of the United States. John Kerry in 2004, who ultimately lost to George W. Bush in the general, Kerry was not the guy who everybody assumed would win. There was the Howard Dean phase until he screamed that we're going to Iowa and then D.C. or whatever. Dean was considered the front runner for a while. But Kerry, who was training in the, trailing in the polls, won the Iowa caucuses, won the New Hampshire primary, and the rest is history, ultimately winning the nomination and, of course, losing the general. And then John McCain from 2008 is another example. In the summer of 2007, which is roughly where we are now, we're getting into fall equivalent to 2007, the McCain campaign seemed potentially to be in jeopardy. And the poll numbers were not great. Fundraising was not great. But come January of 2008, things turned around. He was the front runner before he knew it. He won the nomination ultimately lost to eventual president Barack Obama. So the takeaway from historical polling and where we are right now, September of the year before, is not the problem for Ron DeSantis. Many candidates eventually became the nominees when they were in DeSantis's position, which is a pretty solid second. What I mean is he's losing to Trump by like 40, but he's doubling the person in third place, Vivek Ramaswamy. So the numbers are not the problem for Ron DeSantis. The problems for Ron DeSantis are, number one, the trajectory, which is he was polling 31 at the beginning of this year, and he's lost more than half of that. The trajectory isn't good at all for DeSantis. And then more importantly, if you are running against a former president, which is what Ron DeSantis is doing, it is tougher. Now, Rachel Bittacoffer warned us two weeks ago, don't read too much into this. Nobody pays attention until Labor Day. Many people don't pay attention until November, December, whatever the case may be. I, although she is, of course, correct, it is also unprecedented that the guy who has the commanding lead among those who are paying attention, admittedly, that may only be a part of the entire electorate, the guy who has the commanding lead was the president uh, and also seems to be in serious control of the Republican Party. So we can just wait and see that nobody pays attention to Labor Day thing. We're now beyond Labor Day. People are starting to pay attention. And so where I would put it is this. Any of these other people could surge, could come back, whatever. But if they're going to do it, they have about eight weeks to show that there's life in their campaigns. If this doesn't change, we will be just weeks from the first primaries. If Trump gets those, I just don't see any way that anybody but Trump wins. If you disagree with me, certainly let me know. And of course, there's always the possibility of self-inflicted errors from Trump. Let's talk about that a little bit next. Trump has this lawyer, former lawyer, Honestly, at this point, it's exhausting to keep up with. I don't know what she is. Her name is Alina Habba. I think now it's fair to say she's more of like Trump's TV lawyer. She appeared on television and she made what some are calling a Freudian slip, 
what others are saying is a moment of honesty. She said, Trump's not going to do what's popular and Trump's not going to do what's right. And she immediately realized her problem and she walked it back. This is what we call a Freudian slip. Take a look at Alina Haba. Haba. Um, on TV just a couple of days ago. Officials, elected officials have to do what's popular and sometimes not what's right. Um, and that's a problem. That's, I think, why people get nervous with Trump. He doesn't do what's popular or what's right. Mm-hmm. He, or, or what I'm should say. I, I should say he only does what's right. He doesn't do what's popular. And you've got somebody like Kemp trying to make a name for himself. And he frankly has. He's made headlines because he's going against the leading candidate for the Republican Party and frankly, the leading presidential candidate, period. Absolutely. All right. So as I said, accidental honesty, a Freudian slip. If you really want to interpret what happened here, if you believe in the concept of a soul, you would say that in that video, Alina Habba's soul wanted to tell the truth on some level and it forced its way out of her mouth somehow. Uh, Now, of course, we know Trump often does not do what is right. That's not news to my audience. There's a really funny aspect to this that I do think is relevant to bring up, given all of the I actually won in 2020 stuff that we've been seeing from Trump for years. Trump's lawyer, Trump's former lawyer, whatever she is, Alina Habba. She's out there bragging about how Trump doesn't just do what's popular. He won't, he won't just do what's popular. She's trying to make the argument he will do what is right and not what is popular, even though she messed, it up, messed up the line. On the one hand, he's glad to not do what's popular. And yet, on the other hand, he can't understand how he lost the popularity contest that was the 2020 election and assumes it must have been stolen because there's no other way that he lost. In other words, if you're going to defiantly brag about how you will do what is right and not what is popular. How can you then claim you couldn't possibly have lost an election, which is a de facto popularity contest? You said it yourself. If he doesn't do what's popular, maybe they didn't vote for him because he didn't do what was popular. But now that's not believable and it must have been fraud. Give me a break. Now, it is also true that some of the stuff Trump has done was neither popular nor right. You know, the rape that he was found civilly liable for rape is wrong and it's not popular, period. That's one example. There are many, many others. This really could be the new slogan of the Republican Party. We won't do what's popular and we often won't do what's right but vote for us because there's Marxists on the other side or something like that. Really weak stuff. Trump's lawyers, many are now under criminal indictment. Alina Habba isn't. She, he, was asked, he asked her to lie for him. Unclear whether she did it, but at least for now, she's not in trouble. We're going to keep an eye on it. These clips will be on Instagram. They'll be on TikTok. They'll be on YouTube. It's summertime, it's hot, you're sweating. And unfortunately for many of us, it means sticking and readjusting when you wear traditional underwear. It is an ugly thing, but there is a solution. Fortunately, our sponsor sheath is the ergonomically designed underwear with a pouch in the front that will keep everything separate and comfortable. Sheath underwear makes sure you stay dry and cool and the chafing. Everything can breathe and stay fresh and keep you comfortable. They've got a bunch of different designs, something for everybody. The quality is great, super long lasting. I've had mine for years. I love them year round, but if it's hot and humid, then it is a must. Their airflow mesh series can be particularly effective in the heat. I know you're going to love sheath also. You really just have to try it for yourself to really understand the difference. And my audience gets 20% off. Go to sheathunderwear.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. That's S H E A T H underwear.com slash Pacman and use code Pacman for 20% off. The info is in the podcast notes. 30 million trees are destroyed every year for toilet paper in the U.S. alone. So toilet paper is a big contributor to deforestation and climate change. Our sponsor, Real Paper, makes toilet paper from bamboo. Bamboo plants keep growing. 
which means no deforestation. Bamboo also absorbs five times as much carbon from the atmosphere as pine trees and bamboo toilet paper is stronger than regular toilet paper and even softer. So bamboo toilet paper is all around a win for you and for the environment. It's time to move on from that toilet paper from trees that you're using at home. When you use real paper, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing anything. It's soft and fluffy and they'll ship it to your door in plastic free packaging on a schedule. Super easy with every box of real paper you buy. They are funding reforestation efforts across the country through their partnership with One Tree Planted. So unlike the toilet paper that cuts down trees, Real is helping to actively plant them. Go to realpaper.com/pacman and use code Pacman for 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's r e e l paper.com/pacman and then use code Pacman. The info is in the podcast notes. Former Fox News propagandist Tucker Carlson, I guess now he's like a Twitter video guy or something like that. Tucker says that Donald Trump is obviously heading towards assassination. That's right. The killing of Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson seems to feel, is almost inevitable. Why? Well, I guess it's because people dislike him so much and the left is committed to destroying him that naturally he will soon be killed. It's weird. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why Tucker might be pushing this. Let's take a look at what he had to say. What do you think the future holds? Is it... I don't know. I mean, are they going to let Trump be president? No, of course. I mean, look, if, you know, they protested him. They called him names. He won anyway. They impeached him twice on ridiculous pretenses. They fabricated a lot about what happened on January 6th in order to impeach him again. It didn't work. He came back. Then they indicted him. It didn't work. He became more popular. Then they indicted him three more times. And every single time his popularity rose. So if you begin with criticism, then you go to protest, then you go to impeachment. Now you go to indictment and none of them work. What's next? I mean, let, you know, graph it out, man. We're speeding toward assassination, obviously. And no one will say that, but I don't I don't know how you can't reach that conclusion. You know what I mean? Like they have decided permanent Washington. Both parties have decided that there's something about Trump that's that's so threatening to them. They just can't have him. I mean, they're putting him on trial in March of next year in the J6 case which basically consists of trying to send him to prison for the rest of his life for complaining about the last election. That's literally what it is. Again, if this were happening in Moldova, the State Department would issue an all-hands-on-deck order to let the world know this is not a legitimate government. And yet our government is doing it. It's like, it, I, it's, it's really, it's hard to overstate how bad this is. And I'm not, I, I don't, I don't know where it's going, but there's a collision that's clearly imminent. And by the way, the president is senile in a way that's impossible to deny. Biden's not running the government, you know? So, like, I don't know. I've never been this worried about anything as I am about where this is going. Now, there are so many lies in there, you know, aside from the assassination bombshell, which we're going to talk about here. It is almost impossible to fact check that entire thing. You know, the claim that Trump was indicted because of his opinion about the election. At this point, only the most ignorant or partisan could possibly believe that that's true. It says in the indictments, this is not about what Trump said regarding the election, whether Trump's opinion that he won was a lie or not or true or not. That has nothing to do with why Donald Trump is actually being indicted here. It's because of his actions, not the fact that he thought he won rightly or wrongly. They want to put him in prison for the rest of his life. Well, I mean, listen, it is not the Justice Department's fault. It is not prosecutors' fault that Trump is almost 80 and unhealthy and obese. And so statistically, it makes many prison sentences likely life sentences. That's, yeah, 
it's nobody's fault that that's the situation. They're not trying to put Trump in prison for life. He's facing 91 felony counts across four different indictments, and even a conviction on a few of those could get him a decade in prison, and then you do the math based on Trump's health and weight and the entire thing. Fine. Let's talk about the assassination piece in a little more detail. First and foremost, Tucker knows that it is not likely that Donald Trump is going to be assassinated. He has Secret Service protection for life. He's extraordinarily well protected. They don't even let anybody go near Trump holding a glass bottle. There's a video of some guy having a glass bottle taken from him by Secret Service before he was even allowed to go and shake Trump's hand or say hello or whatever. But that's not the most interesting part of this. The most interesting part of this is why even float this? What's interesting about a possible assassination? Oh, well, maybe it's stochastic terrorism. Tucker has the idea, if I mention someone's going to assassinate Trump, then someone in my audience will try. That's too concrete. That's too concrete. There's another bigger story here. Tucker Carlson might intelligently realize Trump is more useful as a martyr to the cause. What Tucker pre remember when Tucker said he he despises Trump vehemently or something like that? And then of course I guess somehow they made up, but that was leaked that Tucker despises Trump significantly, vehemently, something along those lines. Understand that Trump as president is less useful to the fascistic authoritarian populist types like Tucker than a dead Trump. This is not about Tucker's trying to kill Trump personally. It, 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 this is about, is he more useful as a martyr? And if you look throughout history, there are many martyrs that have served as symbols of resistance, icons of movements, and they were more useful dead than alive to those who cynically sought to exploit them. Because when a figure becomes a martyr, their legacy will often become larger than life. They are free, as Trump is very much subjected to right now, the day-to-day -day criticisms. Oh, he wrote on a thing with a Sharpie. Uh, it's ridiculous. Or he mimicked a disabled reporter. He's got this uh, indictment, that indictment. He's accused of this, these crimes and those crimes. Okay, once you become a martyr, you're free from all of that scrutiny. You faced it when alive, and now you become almost mythologized. And being mythologized in that way can rally and galvanize supporters, and it can become an opportunity for Tucker and all of the other right-wingers who think Trump is a doofus, and I assume that Tucker thinks that because he said it to some degree, and also because he, he seems a little too smart to think anything other, other than that about Trump. People can then choose Trump's replacement or at least weigh in on Trump's replacement. So I am not making the conspiratorial allegation that Tucker is trying to get someone in his audience to kill Trump or to try to kill Trump. I am not making the allegation, which would be completely unfounded, that Tucker is involved in some kind of plot to kill Trump. I'm not saying any of those things. The only thing I'm suggesting is that Tucker's rant may be somewhat inspired by Tucker recognizing that at this point, the damage that Trump is doing to the right is significant. 2018, 2020, 2022. We'll talk in the next segment what might this lead to in 2024 if Trump is the nominee. Tucker might realize this guy might be more useful to the movement as a martyr in which all of his supporters can smoothly be transitioned over to supporting whoever we determine is going to be the righteous replacement to Trump. Something to think about, practically speaking, Trump is not about to be assassinated. It's just not going to happen that I would bet money on. Could Trump die in a number of different scenarios? Of course. Is there a likely assassination coming? The answer is no. Many of Donald Trump's criminal co-defendants are turning against him in court. This is super interesting. You know, one of the aspects of the timing of Trump's trial that we've discussed is how it will interlock with the three other criminal trials that he will be facing, as well as his candidacy, 
as well as him trying to be the Republican nominee, and if he becomes the Republican nominee, trying to become president of the United States. And so there have been a lot of these logistical questions. Can Trump be in four criminal trials at once? How can he do this? Is, is this just going to be a problem for him? Trump wants to delay his trial. At least one of those trials is set to start uh, in early 2024, and Trump's furious. We've talked about all of that. But there's something else here. What about Trump's co-defendants? Because increasingly it appears as though the co-defendants with Trump, high-level advisors, lower-level associates, they are getting ready to turn on Donald Trump and what I would call tell the truth as they should. There's a very interesting piece in Politico, which we will link to, where our friend Michael Cohen is quoted. Michael Cohen's been on the show a few times. I've been on his show. This is Donald Trump's former personal attorney. And Michael Cohen has said many times, and I think he's right, Trump doesn't care about anybody but himself. And we've seen this time and time again. Hilariously, you know, we saw Trump's former lawyer, Jenna Ellis, talking about Trump's not helping me raise money. He's not giving me money. He's not helping me raise money for my legal defense. What the hell is going on here? This is a disaster. We talked about that. So we know that Trump cares mostly about himself. As co-defendants realize that, as co-defendants realize he's not defending us in public, mostly. He's not helping us financially with these defenses. Why are we going to hide behind him? We should just say everything we know. And indeed, if Donald Trump was the mastermind, if Donald Trump was the main guy behind all of the alleged crimes, why would they try to defend him? One such example we talked about last week is this low-level employee from Mar-a-Lago who changed his story. He had, a, he had a MAGA lawyer, and he said, no, I don't know anything about anybody trying to delete surveillance footage related to documents at Mar-a-Lago, I don't know a thing about it. Nope, couldn't, could, don't know a thing about it. And then all of a sudden, the MAGA lawyer is gone, and then next thing you know, he says, I'm retracting, I'm recanting that testimony. That's one example. We then have three Republican activists in Georgia indicted along Trump, uh, alongside Trump. They are now all saying Trump was running the show, we did what he asked. It's that simple. This seems to be the direction things are going. Now, in terms of it being characterized as they are throwing blame at Trump, they may just be stating facts. Like, it may just be the truth that that's what it is. It is Trump's fault. Trump was the mastermind, etc. One really important aspect to this is that, sure, you would sometimes hear a little bit about voter fraud or mail-in voting or whatever, and we would look into it, and it was like a handful of Republicans that were actually caught committing in-person voter fraud. But before Trump spent six months and subsequently years talking about voter fraud and how the election was stolen, the country at large did not doubt the electoral process. Trump lying about it and continuing to lie about it is what got so many new people to doubt the electoral process. Beforehand, you had a country that anecdotally might have been concerned about irregularities here or there, but we, generally speaking, trusted the process. Trump is to blame for changing that. And so if that's the top, and subsequent to that, it's try to seize voting machines, Let's send fake electors. Let's put pressure on Georgia uh, officials to change the results. Then Trump really would be to blame in that scenario. Now, it's going to be really funny if indeed Trump does delay his trial, but some of these other co-defendants have earlier trials, and they go in there and they go, Trump told me to do it. This was Trump's idea. Trump was running the show. Trump will start attacking them on social media. And as we already know, judges in Trump's various cases are concerned, they've admonished Trump about the witness intimidation. Trump successfully delaying his trial, or even if he doesn't delay it, but the co-defendants going sooner, could lead, once again, to Trump attacking witnesses on social media, intimidating witnesses on social media, and then potentially having repercussions up to and including pretrial detention. Do I think it will happen? Eh, probably not. Could it happen? It absolutely could happen. The other last aspect to this is we know Trump was the driving force behind all of this. And the interesting thing that happens as the co-defendants realize this guy doesn't care about me. 
He's not going to help me with my legal bills. There, I'm basically completely out here on my own. One of the things they are obviously realizing is it was a really stupid idea to get involved in this stuff in the first place. It's too late for them. But maybe, maybe it will serve as a cautionary tale for others who are thinking of pledging their undying devotion to their orange leader by being willing to commit crimes for him. If it saves someone in 2024, then that will be a really great thing. Let me know what you think. Is anyone going to stay behind Trump now that they are facing charges, or are they all going to throw the guy under the bus? Let me know in a comment. Let me know in an email. We are constantly seeing data breaches in the news. It never ends. Verizon had a breach this year, exposing millions of users data. T-Mobile had two big breaches this year, exposing the personal data of 37 million people. It's a disaster. These companies have a record of everything you do online. And after these breaches, almost anyone can access your data. The real solution is don't let the company see what you're doing in the first place. And that's why I use private Internet access keeps my data hidden from my Internet service providers, from hackers, from others. I can use it on all of my devices with one account. Most VPNs log your Internet activity. Private Internet access is the only VPN to prove multiple times in court that they don't. This makes them unique, works with all major streaming platforms, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon to access content not normally available in your country. Private Internet access is giving my audience a huge 83 percent discount. You can subscribe for two oh three a month and get four extra months for free. Go to PIAVPN.com slash David. The link is in the podcast notes. The latest conspiracy theory about Joe Biden, about the 2024 uh, Democratic primary, which isn't happening, et cetera, is that Michelle Obama will have to be recruited or I guess will somehow rise from behind a mountain to replace Joe Biden, who will be unable to serve because he's senile or on the verge of death or whatever the case may be. Now, uh, it is true that Jill Biden has COVID and that it's conceivable that Joe Biden could get it from her, even though he's been testing negative as of this moment. But that is not what this conspiracy theory is about. Let's take a look at some examples. The latest is from radical and repugnant Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene who says on the Alex Jones show that indeed Michelle Obama will be the Democratic nominee. Take a look. They're, they're going to save her when, the, if, hey, if, it hits, if it's a real emergency, we'll definitely see her come out. They're going to break in case of emergency. Exactly. Like, <laughs> She's in a case. It's like a big mic. She's in a case. She is, she is there. That is, that's when everything is failing. Donald Trump's going to win. Joe Biden is a, is a corrupt criminal. No one can deny it. Gavin Newsom can't win because he destroyed California. They're going to run over there. They're going to pull the hammer, break the glass, and they're going to pull her out. And uh, yeah, Michelle Obama, she's definitely the one that will try to save the day. Now, I'm sure your reaction to this is how on earth does Alex Jones still have a show after he lost all that money in those insane defamation lawsuits? And of course, the answer is you've got to collect that money. And they apparently have not yet collected that money. And it's a story for a different day. But back to Michelle Obama is going to be the nominee for Democrats in 2024. Alex Jones himself. It's funny when he's the interviewer, Alex Jones has to go, oh, interesting idea. Alex Jones himself floated this on the PBD podcast with Patrick Bet David. Remember when I did that in Florida? It was quite a scene. Um, also, in so suggesting that Michelle Obama will replace Joe Biden as the nominee, saying that Michelle Obama is a man, which I, I guess is this transphobia? I don't know, because Michelle Obama is not trans, but it's, it's all very, very strange. Take a look. Year. Newsom's the serious candidate, and who they now admit. They're, you can see him getting out of deep freeze, rolling him out, getting him ready. But they're thinking about the wild card. Uh, Obama has warned, warmed to Newsom, and right now there's discussions. This is, this is real. There's discussions of Michelle Obama as the president, and Newsom, or should it be Newsom president, Michelle Obama vice president? That would be, by the way, oh that, that's going to be tough to beat. It's a powerhouse. That's going to be tough to beat. So, but what well, do you they're think they're about, both incredible men. What are your well, thoughts on this? <laughs> <laughs> 
Alex, can, uh, can, can, I, can I just... I'm just joking. Joan Rivers made a joke yes. about it, too. She did, yeah, she died two weeks later. Yeah. What do you think about DeSantis? You know, they love this story in part because Michelle Obama is black. That's where a lot of the oxygen for this story comes from. They love pushing Biden as weak. Biden can't think. Biden's on the verge of death. They love that for sure. But this is an additional element that they love. It's even better for them if Biden is so weak that they replace him with a black woman. My goodness, things must really be going terribly if they have to replace Joe Biden with a black woman. This is why they love the Michelle Obama thing. And also because of the whole transphobia thing where I guess they say Michelle Obama is actually a man or something like that. It's, it's a weird one. They are obviously so predictable, but it is so pathetic. Now, by the way, Michelle Obama seems very likable. If she ran, she'd probably be a formidable candidate. But Michelle Obama said very clearly to Oprah, I'm not running for president. Period. That's it. Now, could she change her mind? Sure. But usually when you want to leave the door open, politicians know to say things like, at this time, it's just not something I'm thinking about. Oh, but would you ever do it? Listen, who can say what the world will be like down in the future and I'll have to think about it or whatever? But she just said no. She just said, I'm not doing it. These are desperate people. They need something because their side has no ideas, or at least no good ideas. They have the idea of make abortion illegal. It just happens to be a terrible idea that most of the country is against. They have no ideas, they have no strong candidates, and they have a guy at the head of their party, figuratively, not literally the head of the RNC, but the guy who's in charge, for lack of a better term, Trump, who has damaged them in 2018, has damaged them in 2020, and has damaged them in 2022. What is it going to take to get beyond Trump? There was an interesting post on the David Pakman Show subreddit a few days ago, which said the way Trump goes away is when his replacement is found. They need to find the new cult leader, the new Trump, to get people to follow them instead. It's not going to be, oh, you know what? We reject Trumpism. That's never going to happen. It's more about who replaces Trump. It's an interesting idea. Does Trump going to prison get them beyond this? Honestly, I don't think so, for the same reason that Tucker said, hey, Trump's going to be assassinated. As a martyr, he's useful to them. Being in prison is one way that he could be a martyr. Now what I want to dig into in more detail is whether Trump 2024, if it happens, destroys the Republican Party again, because it wouldn't be the first time. There's a really interesting piece by Tom LoBianco in The Messenger. And it's called, Some Republicans Worry That a Trump Nomination Could Bring Steep Down-Ballot Losses for the Republican Party. The article explains, and also we could talk about even more broadly than just this article, that Republican insiders are worried. Republican insiders are very worried that the potential repercussions of a Trump nomination on down-ballot races could be disastrous. Trump is magnetic in the sense that he still commands the cult-like support of part of the Republican Party, but there is a part of the base that doesn't like the guy. There's a part of the base that thinks he's uh, damaging to the party, and there is more and more anxiety among that group of people that if Trump is the nominee, even if he wins or loses, regardless of whether he wins or loses, just being the nominee could be disaster for down-ballot Republicans. Here's why it would work out that way. It's partially math and partially sort of, I don't know, common sense. You have a divided Republican Party. Trump's following is loud. It's vocal. They don't want anybody else. No question about it. But Donald Trump also has polarized the Republican Party. And there are portions of the Republican Party, about 45% by recent polling, that don't want Trump. And if Trump is indeed the nominee, 
that polarization will likely only be accentuated. It will increase intra-party politics. It will prevent a lack of you. It will prevent unified support. It will lead to a lack of unified support. Better said. And if you look at the math, most polls, Trump polling 55 percent, everybody else together polling 45 percent. That sounds like it would be enough for Trump to get the nomination, but it would leave 45 percent of the party saying, I didn't want this guy. And some portion of that 45 percent might say, you know what? I voted for Nikki Haley. It's Trump. I don't like the guy, but I'm going to stay home. I'm not only not going to go out and vote for the presidential election, I'm not going to vote at all. And if you look at just a few critical Senate races, House races, when the margins are expected to be razor thin, that's all it could take to give control of the House back to Democrats and to allow Democrats to grow their margins uh, in the Senate altogether. The moderates are particularly at risk in this situation. So the other effect of this would be that it could further radicalize the Republican Party. If you look historically at the tight races in swing states, and it makes sense that it would be moderates, in the very red states, you tend to have more extreme Republican candidates. They are going to win by large margins. So the disaffected anti-Trump voters staying home in the red states, the super red states, is not likely to have an impact in the same way. If you look at swing states, where maybe a Republican would be the senator, but maybe a Democrat would be the senator. If you look at those states and you look at the thin margins, just a few percent of the Republican electorate saying, I'm angry that they did the Trump thing again, I'm staying home, that could swing some races in the direction of Democrats, and that could be a true disaster for the Republican Party. We need only look at 2018, 2020, and 2022 to know that this is possible. Uh, 2018 did not go well for Donald Trump in terms of the midterms, uh, Democrats doing very well. 2020 did not go well for Donald Trump in that he lost the presidency for the Republican Party. 2022 was the red wave that wasn't, which ac actually saw Democratic, uh, the Democrats in the Senate grow their majority, a red wave in which Democrats gain ground. So three disasters in a row, all directly linked to Donald Trump. What happens in 2024? The Republican Party is having problems in suburban areas. That can be attributed to the Trump backlash. They are struggling to find some kind of policy platform that is appealing. Anti-woke isn't working. And abortion isn't working at all. So we are going to see. And then add to this, COVID killed more Trump supporters than Biden supporters. Um, other statistical realities are not going in the favor of Republicans. I know that this is said every year every election, and three elections in a row, it's been true. This could be another disaster for the Republican Party. Uh, however, I will remind everybody, we are all still going to vote. I know that I had to do this in 2020. Even if we see the polling and we say, hey, it looks good for Biden, it, just, it looks fine, we don't stay home. Even if it looks like there will be a Republican backlash to Donald Trump and many Republicans will stay home, we don't stay home. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. There is just too much riding on it. We have a voicemail number. That number is 219-2-DAVID-P. Here's a caller who noticed something fishy is happening on my TikTok. Listen to this. Hi, David. Um, love the show. So I was on TikTok and my algorithm served me a video that it looked like it was from your profile, but... When I looked at it, it said David Parkman show. Yeah. Um, and they have like 15,000 followers. So I just wanted to let you know it's, it's, you have some imitators on TikTok. Thank you. There are fake David Parkman channels on TikTok. Forget about 15,000 followers. There are some that have 100,000 followers. We have done everything. The, these people are stealing my content and monetizing it, okay? We've done everything we can. Michael Rappaport, the actor, is following one of the fake David Pakman accounts. We report the individual videos. We report the channels for impersonation. Every single report is ignored or rejected by TikTok.
if anyone out there has some way to help us deal with this, it is a very serious problem. And quite literally, they tricked Michael Rappaport into, he would love to be following the real David Pakman show TikTok. Instead, he's following some fake account. If anybody out there has a contact at TikTok or, or can help us in any other way, please let me know. We have a fantastic bonus show for you today. We will talk about what's going on at Burning Man, and I will talk about how once again thrilled I am that I don't go to that sort of thing. We will talk about that when Pat joins me on the bonus show. We will also talk about New Mexico governor and former UN ambassador Bill Richardson passing away at age 75. Very interesting guy in a lot of different ways. And we will talk about Vivek Ramaswamy's latest idea, that college admissions should include a one-mile run and other elements of the presidential fitness test. Is this even remotely logical? I think the answer is no, but we will talk about it in detail on today's bonus show. Sign up at joinpacman.com. I will see you then.